Many years ago, when I first began preaching, I learned something about my grandfather that I did not know prior to that. He wept during every sermon. I'm going to tell you it was real moving when you stand up in the pulpit and you try to deliver a lesson from God's Word and you mention something about people's souls to look down and see some people visibly weeping. See, my grandfather weeping moved me. Very difficult to preach after you see that. I realized something a little bit later in life, and that is that I inherited his emotional nature. As time came for me to speak at the funerals of people that I learned to love and appreciate, as I stood there with the family, it was hard for me not to also shed tears. I know that as a preacher, you're supposed to be able to keep control of your emotions and to try to be able to deliver a lesson in such a fashion that it's, be, that it's understandable. But I will tell you that at times, it's very difficult for a person not to weep. At times, we as men have been told that if you weep, there's somehow a weakness within you. And yet, our Lord wept and our Lord shed tears and there's nothing lacking in manliness about a man who has a powerful emotion and a powerful love for people and their situation in life. One of the things that you and I struggle with is to be able to see our Lord and both of his sides. Our Lord was fully divine, that is he was God And yet at the same time, he was fully man. And when you start looking at the Bible, Colossians 2 and verse 9, Paul said, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You take all of the nature of God and then you put it into the form of a human body and that was Jesus Christ. John 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Dropping down to verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul wrote the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. You see, as I survey God's word, it is very plain, it is very clear that Jesus not only possessed the divine nature, which was his eternal nature, but he took upon him the likeness of human flesh. Jesus had the Father's perspective with regards to sin. He knew how bad sin was. And yet he also possessed a human nature that could be compassionate and sympathetic 
with our weaknesses. The Hebrew writer said, For we do not have a high priest who can not sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, our Lord shed tears because our Lord experienced everything that you and I experience in this life. So this morning, we want to see Jesus through his tears. We want to see him and the way he felt both in the divine side and in the human side. And we're going to look at the three passages of Scripture which talk about Jesus wept. We're going to look at John chapter 11. We're going to look and see the Lord's compassion Then we'll go to Luke chapter 19 and we'll see a calamity that was going to come upon Jerusalem and how the Lord was moved with regards to these people and what was going to happen to them. And then finally we're going to talk about Hebrews chapter 5 and the cost that it was going to take for him to pay for man's sins. If you will, keep your Bibles open there to John chapter 11. We want to see the context in which this passage occurs. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 4, verses 11 through 14, verses 17 through 19, and then finally verses 33 through 36. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the God may be glorified through it. Now before we move to the next passage, I want you to just notice the details that John provides for us. He first of all explains to us that our Lord had friends. There were two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They lived at the little town of Bethany, about two miles away. If you are looking at Jerusalem and you go directly east over the top of the Mount of Olives, And you start down the descent of the other side, there is the city of Bethany. And our Lord, when he would go to Jerusalem, would frequently stay with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Luke does a great job talking about them in Luke chapter 10 as he explains how that Mary and Martha were there with the Lord and Martha was cumbered about with a lot of serving and Mary was sitting and listening at Jesus' feet. John tells us that this is the same Mary who took the fragrant oil and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped them with her hair. We also know that Lazarus has developed a sickness. This sickness is so severe that it is the kind where you call your friends and your family in. And so the word is sent to Jesus, Lord, whom you love is sick. You need to come and see him. And I'm sure as what will occur later, you will see that they're so concerned about him, they feel like they can, that the Lord can prevent his death. As we move to verses 11 through 14, 
These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go to him that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest of sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You know, this was a situation where the Lord knew what was going to happen. And his disciples were a little bit confused, perplexed by the terminology of the Lord. He's sleeping. And you know, that's a term that the Bible frequently will use to describe those who pass from this life. But they have the idea that he's sleeping physically and the Lord said, no, he, he, he is passed. Well, let's go to now to verse 17. Jesus now has arrived at Bethany and it says, when Jesus came, he found that he had been already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. As we have seen several in our congregation experience this loss within the last few days, when you lose someone you love, the family and the friends gather together. There is what the Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We grieve with and for those who have lost their loved ones. And that source of strength really helps get us through those difficult times. And so the Lord has arrived now and the funeral is over. In fact, Lazarus has been buried for four days. There's no doubt that Lazarus has actually passed from this life. We get to verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. As you look at this, there are two different interpretations of the weeping of Jesus. Or particularly, more specifically, the groaning of Jesus. If you'll look at verses 33 and 38, you will see twice the Lord is said to have groaned. What is sort of unique is that the word groaned here means to snort like a horse in anger. It just doesn't seem to be appropriate. Why would you be angry? Certainly this is an emotional response. Notice, he groaned in the spirit was troubled. Verse 38, then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. If you look at the other occurrences of this original word in the Bible, you see this strong emotional response. For instance, in Matthew 9.30, Jesus sternly warned them. Mark 1.43, he strictly warned them. Mark 14.5, he said they criticized her sharply. It's a word that expresses a strong emotion 
And what those who believe that this is the Lord in anger is that he is in anger of these people who are weeping as if there is no hope. You remember 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13? He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who fall asleep, that you sorrow as others who have no hope. That the Lord is angry here because they seem to be just weeping and wailing. And a good illustration, Mark chapter 5. He came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And their idea is the Lord is angry because everybody is weeping. And the Lord is angry because of what sin has done to mankind. That's one interpretation. I don't agree with that, but that's one interpretation. The other is Jesus is moved with compassion at this event. The reason why I don't believe Jesus is angry at their weeping is because he also wept. Would not have been angry at himself. But when you look at the action, that right after verse 35, verse 36 comes along and said, the Jews said, behold how he loved him. It was perceived and taken as Jesus shed tears that he loved Lazarus. He was his dear friend. You see, earlier in John 11, Martha first and then Mary second said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha said, yes, Lord, we know that he will rise again in the last day. The fact that I know that godly, faithful people will rise again in the last day doesn't mean that I don't grieve when I lose somebody close to me. Many of you know, just a few weeks ago, I lost my college roommate. That hurt. When you lose a family member, it hurts. And you grieve. It doesn't mean you're grieving like there's no hope. The Bible prophesied that Jesus, in Isaiah 53, verse 3, would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Our Lord was compassionate. He was caring. And when he saw his dear friend Lazarus, whom he knew he was going to raise from the dead, he still wept. Now let's move to Luke 19. If you'll turn with me, let's look at verses 37 through 44. Luke 19, verses 37 through 44. Then as he drew near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. 
Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Saying, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things which make for your peace, and now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come when upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let me set the context for you. This is on Sunday morning. This is the last week before Jesus will be crucified on Friday. The crowds of people are gathering together. This is what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus is riding on a donkey. People are laying before him palm branches. And there's a great rejoicing because Jesus is coming into the city And yet, it says, as he began to descend, going down the Mount of Olives now, and he reaches, he's very near the city, he starts to weep over it. Why weep at such a festive occasion? These people are crying out, Blessed is he who's coming in the name of the Lord. This is a joyful, triumphal entry. Why cry? Because Jesus knew what they were going to do just a few days later. Luke 23, verse 21. But they shouted saying, crucify him, crucify him. Oh, Sunday is a beautiful day, but Friday is going to be awful. But it's not just that. The Lord sees the future of this city. But I want to remind you that if you're carefully following the chronology, on Tuesday, the Lord again will be on the Mount of Olives. And the Lord will be with His disciples looking over the city and admiring the buildings that are there. Matthew's account in Matthew 23, verse 37 says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Jesus is saying, I often wanted to come to Jerusalem and take the city and the people in it just like a mother hen would gather the little chicks together. He said, but you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't listen. You wouldn't respond in a righteous way. And thus, our Lord weeps over the spiritual condition of this city. Our Lord weeps over the consequences that's going to happen to this city. This city is going to be left desolate, Matthew 23, verse 38. Jesus in Luke 19 is going to explain how enemies will compass this city about. Armies will build up an embankment. One stone will not be left upon another. The city is going to be destroyed. 
Even the little children are going to suffer. I don't know how many of you saw this past week, the picture of a little child sitting in a hospital in Syria, having suffered the bombing there. Blood, this child puts his head to his hand and blood's running down from his head. Makes you want to weep for that little child. Jesus looks at Jerusalem and he knows there's children that's going to die there. Old Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The great prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 9 and verse 1, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Chapter 14, or 13, verse 17, But if you will not hear, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Jeremiah looked at Jerusalem and the same as Jesus wept over it. That's why he's called the weeping prophet. David in Psalm 119, verse 136 says, Rivers of waters run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. Our Lord shed tears as he looked at the city of Jerusalem and saw its future. I'd like for you to consider that these people were his own. Remember John 1 verse 11? He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. These are the same people that are responsible for the death of the prophets. We saw that in Matthew 23 verse 37. They kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. These are the same ones who turned the religion, the worship of God into nothing more than a ritual. And they were full of hypocrisy. You could study all of Matthew 23, but those first few verses talks about these people. In verse 3 he says, They say and do not. In verse 23 he says, You pay tent of mint, anise, and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, love, justice, and mercy or justice, mercy, and faith, these you ought to have done and not left the others undone. They just did what they wanted to do. And then if you go to Matthew chapter 15, you see that what they do, they teach their own doctrines. Matthew 15 verse 3, he says, These people transgress the commandment of God because of their tradition. Verse 9, he said, These people draw near to me with their lips, their mouth, they're honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Oh, the city of Jerusalem, the Lord wept over it. Now for just a few minutes, let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 9. The writer of the book of Hebrews has a very unique way of capturing the humanity of Christ. To be able to picture before our eyes what the Lord was going through in offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And so he thus writes, Who in the days of his flesh, 
when he had offered up prayers and supplications, now listen carefully now, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. You see, if a person looks at the book of Hebrews, you see in chapter 2, you see in chapter 4, you see in chapter 5, the writer keep presenting the fact that Jesus took the form of flesh. He said he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God and to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Just like we're tempted, he was tempted. We have to see Jesus as a man and what he endured and what he suffered. He experienced real emotional pain in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew that within just a matter of hours, he would be struck on the back, scourged. He knew that within just a matter of hours, nails would be driven into his hands. He knew that in just a matter of hours, his life would be gone because men would kill him. I want you to compare the mental anguish that some of us suffer. You know that you're scheduled for surgery and the doctor says we're going to have to amputate your leg. Those moments leading up to that are filled with all kinds of anguish. For some of you women, you've had to endure a surgery called a mastectomy and There's so many emotional things attached to that. And as you have to endure that and you hear the doctor tell you that your surgery is going to take place, there's an emotional suffering that goes on there. I want you to see Matthew and Luke's description of what the Hebrew writer told us about. These vehement cries, these tears to him who's able to save him from death. Matthew in chapter 26 says, He said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorry, sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And a second time he went and prayed, saying, Oh, Father, if it is possible... If this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And then he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were very heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? 
Behold, the hour is at hand that the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I want you to imagine the Lord leaves Peter, James, and John. He goes just a little bit further away. He gets down on his knees and he prays. He tells them, I'm exceedingly sorrowful. Luke, in chapter 22, says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus went through an emotional pain in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went through the physical pain of being beaten and crucified. And yes, the Lord wept. He wept, knowing what was before. Thankfully, the Bible says he was heard because of his godly fear. Anytime a godly person prays a fervent prayer, God hears. James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Jesus was a man of compassion, caring about the future of every one of us. You know how much he cared? The Lord cared enough for every one of us here that he laid down his life. And sadly, as the Lord looks at this audience, there's some of us who have not yet thankfully said, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to be one of your children. And what does the Lord do? Does, does the Lord weep for me? Does the Lord weep for you? Just like he did over the city of Jerusalem. Thankfully, we don't have to weep at all. Our sadness can be turned into joy. The Lord was looking at his disciples and saying, yes, it's, it's tough here now. What you're going to go through, people will rejoice, but you're going to be sad. But he said, it's going to be changed. He said, most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Something good in the future is coming. The question is whether or not you will be a part of it. The song of invitation has been selected. This is a time during our service that if you need to say, I want to become a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm willing to repent of my sins. I'm willing to confess Him as my Lord. And I'm willing to be baptized. Because that's what he taught that I must do. If you will come forward and sit on the front row and, and when the song is over say, I want to become a Christian. We'll baptize you this morning. And if you're a Christian 
and you look at sin in your life and you say, I need to fix this. I need to take care of it. I need to ask God's forgiveness. We'll pray with you. If you need to respond, please come as together we stand and sing.